Good morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? You're here. Awesome. So glad you could join us. Um, well, I just got back. I was on a trip. Went to visit our brother Tristan, see where he has been for the last couple years. Got to go with uh, Lance as well. And uh, it, was, it was an awesome trip. We got to sit down with the people that he's doing ministry with, hear the stories, see the places, smell the smells, taste the tastes. Um, so it was, it was really good. Um, like we hear about stories of God giving dreams um, to Muslims and then they're coming to Jesus Christ. But now I've actually met people that he's given dreams to. Uh, one of Tristan's friends, his father, had a dream of Jesus saying, come to me, I'm the way. And his whole family became, come, came to Jesus because of it. So it's so cool that, I mean, we hear stories about that, but now I actually know a face and a name um, that I can, t- can put to that to see the work that God is doing. Um, another thing is, it's just there is a huge need. There is a lot of people who need to hear about Jesus who've never heard about Jesus. And so if you could pl- pray for um, Tristan and his wife Ashley and Henry and Oliver um, as they're going to be going back in January. Um, but yeah, there's a huge need there. So I was very blessed to be able to go and see that and, and uh, participate and pray uh, into things a lot more specifically. So yeah, I, can, I could talk quite a bit about it. I won't talk a whole lot more about it this morning. Um, I'm still processing. I'm still jet-lagging a little bit. Just got back this week. Did not adjust to the time there. Have not adjusted back, so it's just been all over the place. But I trust the Holy Spirit will take whatever I'm saying and make it cohesive and understandable for you guys this morning. Um, So before we begin and jump in, let's take a moment to pray. Father God, you, you are so good. God, and we are so blessed that we can come here and actually praise your name, that we can lift up your glory, your greatness, um, that we can come together as a body, as brothers and sisters, and be with one another, pray with one another, encourage, support. Um, even before the service, God, we had baby dedications here. Parents saying, I'm dedicating my children to you. They're in your hands, God. It's just a beautiful thing to come together as a body. Lord, we pray in the name of the Holy Spirit, that your word would sink deep into our hearts, um, that it would not just be knowledge in our heads, but it would be things that we believe and we understand. And that can only happen by the work of your spirit in our hearts. So that's what I pray for this morning, God, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would say that you are a Christian, um, That means you are one of God's children. Now, what does it mean to say that you're a Christian? Well, do you believe that Jesus Christ was born as a baby, came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, took your sin and your punishment upon himself so that you could be um, forgiven? Do you believe that? Can you be a Christian or a child of God? Um... Two other indicators that, um, that are, you know, if you ever question, you know, am I, am I really a Christian? Um, two indicators that you can just think about in your own heart and your own soul. First one, do you hate your sin? Um, do you hate your sin? Do you want to get away from your sin? Do you want to not live that way anymore and live the way Jesus wants you to live? 
The only way that you would want to get rid of your sin in your life is because of the Holy Spirit working. Second one is, do you desperately, desperately need Jesus? Every day, every moment, you need the Savior. You need God in your life. Do you know, do you recognize that you need him so badly? That is only by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It's a deposit. It affirms that you are a child of God. That you are a Christian, as we would say in our culture. Um, so that means, if you're a child of God, that God is your Father. And I would submit to you today, and we'll kind of walk through Scripture a little bit on it, that God is your perfect, loving Father. Now, I know that that is going to be maybe hard to comprehend and fully understand. We're going to try to look at it a little bit. Um, but God is your perfect, loving Father. I want to read a few passages that talk about just how we are his children. First John 3.1 says that, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The love of the Father that he has lavished on us, that's like overwhelmingly poured out on you. His love that he's overwhelmingly poured out on you is this, that you're called children of God. And everything that comes with that being a child of God. We could spend years digging into what that really means. But we're just going to say it pretty, pretty plainly this morning is that you are a child of God. Ephesians 5.1 says this, that you are not only just a child of God. It says in Ephesians 5.1 that you are dearly loved children. Not only are you just a child of God, you're not just one of his kids that's off in a corner somewhere. No, you are a dearly loved child of God. Now, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I wrestle with this. I wrestle with this idea of how perfect God is and how loving God is and that he would be my father and that would be our relationship. Um, because there's this thing with children. Um, children, they don't always know what's best for them, right? You know, uh, I think about it with my own kids that it's like, well, hey, dad, I want to do this. It's like, well, no, don't do that. Oh, that's hot. Don't touch that. Oh, careful. That's going to fall. Um, all these kind of things. They don't know what's best for them often because they can't see the full picture. They, they don't have the full scope of the realm of how things work in this world. And they also um, can't grasp the effects of whatever action they are, are doing. Um, that's usually sums up pretty much why children don't know what's always best for them. Now, in the same way, God is our father. We are his children. We don't always know what's best for us. Can you imagine being your parent? Like if you were God, and I don't know, this is kind of a weird, try to put yourself in that perspective kind of a thing. Um, but like, you're God, you're looking down, you're, there's your children, and they're like, ooh, I want to do this. Oh, what does this button do? Ooh, let's go this way. Oh, this is a shortcut. Come on, this way. I know the way. Oh, this will really satisfy me. Oh, it hurts. Can you kiss it better? You know, and then God's response to us, they're there. Hey, come, come this way. That's the wrong direction. There's no shortcuts in my kingdom, right? Watch out for the traps of the enemy. He's just going to try and hurt you. Hey, I'm always here for you. Here, give me your pain. I know it hurts. 
hey, when you're in temptation, I will always provide a way out. This is God's response to us. He's always with us. Because he is a perfect, loving father. It says in 1 John 4, 8, this shows us God's character. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. It is the very definition of who God is, is love. Well, then we ask, well, what, what is love? Some of you are singing that song already. Um, we ask, what is love? Well, we think about love is patient, kind. Right? So this is who God is. He's a God of love. He does everything out of love for us. In Matthew 6, 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away anything in barns, and yet your father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they are? You're much more valuable than they are. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the father of the heavenly lights, the father of who created the universe. Every good gift comes from God. So if there's anything in your life that you would call good, that's come from God. Because God gives good gifts. In Romans 8, 28, God works all things for the good of those who love him, for his children, who have been called according to his purpose. God works everything in your life for your good. There is nothing wasted in the hands of Jesus. He's like the master craftsman. He will take anything. There'll be no spare parts left over. It's like, oh, I couldn't do anything with that. Every situation, every moment in your life, God will work it out for your good because he's just that amazing. He is that good. I love what it says in Matthew 7, 11. This one stings a little bit. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If we who are evil can somehow give a good gift to our child, to our children, how much more will God who is perfect give good gifts to his children? This is the character of our God. This is who he is. He is infinitely better than the best human dad you could possibly imagine. There's a quote from John Piper that uh, I really appreciate to try to put this into perspective. When you pause to consider that God is infinitely strong and can do all that he pleases, and he is infinitely righteous so that he only does what's right, and that he is infinitely good, so that everything he does is perfectly good. And that he is infinitely wise, so that he always knows perfectly what is right and good. And that he is infinitely loving, so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal, eternal joy of his loved ones, his children, as high as it can possibly be raised. And when you pause to think about this, 
the invitation that God says, come, ask me for good gifts, that's unimaginably wonderful. If a God that good and that perfect and that right and that wise and strong and capable is saying, come, ask me for good gifts, wow. He truly is our perfect, loving Father. I was lamenting one day um, that as I look through Scripture and see all these, you know, heroes of the faith, I was kind of asking God, I was like, hey, is there, is there someone that, that I can pattern my parenting after? Someone who, like, did it right as a father. And I started searching, and I couldn't find one. I got a little discouraged. I start looking at some of the big names, you know, some of like these really holy dudes, like Samuel the prophet. Wow. No, the people said, your kids don't follow God. We want a king because they're just, they're bad. Oh, that's not super great. David, you look at David, like the best king that Israel had. It doesn't take you long to see his kids murder, rape, trying to overthrow their dad. Like, this is not a good situation. So I was getting a little discouraged because I was like, God, I'm searching to find an example that I can pattern my parenting after, someone who did it right. And I don't know why I was so surprised, actually. When you think about it logically, we are all sinful, broken, evil humans. And so I don't know why I was searching to try and find a sinful, broken, evil human who did it perfectly because that just doesn't, that doesn't work. And as I was praying to God, I was like, hey, you know, like, now what? You know, I've got three boys and a girl. I'm like, this is, I need help, you know? And he's like, well, wait. I did it perfectly with Jesus when he was on earth. God the Father was the perfect father to Jesus while Jesus was walking around on the earth. I started to think about that. I was like, what, what was Jesus and the Father's relationship like? Because that's probably something I should take note of. So I started looking into it. Jesus and the Father had a very special relationship. And there's a few things, not everything, that, I'm not going to go into everything, but there's a few things that the Father did with Jesus and Jesus did with the Father while he was on earth that I'd just like to take note of very quickly. The first thing is, the Father gave verbal spoken approval and love to Jesus while he was on earth. Not only once, he did it multiple times. We see it at Jesus' baptism. Jesus gets baptized, goes under the water, comes out, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and then there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God declared over Jesus his love for him. But it's not just that. This, this is also very interesting. It's not that just God said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I love you. God said it to Jesus in front of a ton of other people. God's not ashamed to say and know and everybody know, that's my son whom I love. Y'all paying attention? I love him. Jesus knew, everybody else knew, God loved him. And I think about that, I'm like, man. And it didn't just happen at his baptism. It also happened at his transfiguration. He goes up to the top of this mountain. He's got Peter, James, and John there. And he's like transformed before their eyes into like his holy glowing ooh, radiance. Peter goes crazy. He's like, we got to build a temple here. He's freaking out. And at that moment as well, God said, this is my son. 
whom I love. Declared his love to Jesus, over Jesus, so that other people knew. God the Father also supported Jesus when he was in his times of need. We see when Jesus was led out into the desert to be tempted. It says he was there and the devil tempted him and he brought in his temptations and Jesus was like, away from me, do all that thing. And then it says, and God sent angels to attend to Jesus. And it's the same when he was in the garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified. He was in the garden, he was praying, he was before his father, he was crying out, he was sweating drops of blood because of the agony and the anguish he was in in that moment. And it says that he prayed and the father sent angels to attend him, to care for him. Because he cares for his children's needs when they're in pain. And I think this third thing and the last thing I want to look at in this area of um, God the Father and Jesus is probably one of the biggest things. Um, Jesus spent a lot of time with the Father. A lot of one-on-one time with the Father. Praying, talking. It says that often he would withdraw from the crowds and his disciples and go and find a desolate place or a wilderness type place to pray and be with his father. Why was it a desolate wilderness type place? So that there's no distractions. So that it could be him and God, him and his father, nothing else. He did that often. He did it in the garden, took time to pray with his father. He brought his disciples with him on that one. There's another time when his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, is beheaded, and he, hit, he gets the news. And what is he trying to do? He's like, I'm going to go and pray. So he gets in a boat to cross the lake to go and pray. What happens? A crowd sees him, follows him around the other side. He gets out of the boat, and there's this massive crowd. And we have the feeding of the 5,000. But as Jesus, he dealt with what came to him dismissed the crowds, and it said he still went up onto the mountain to pray because he needed to be with his father in a time that he was hurting. One of my favorite stories of Jesus getting away to spend time with his father is it says, um, and it's probably just my imagination, that's why I like it so much, it says that while it was still early, before everybody else was awake, Jesus went out to pray. And so he had his disciples with him, so I just had this mental picture of they're all in this little dirt shack, and they're all sleeping on the floor, and there's Jesus doing this. Sneaking around Peter, he's snoring, you know, trying to sneak out so that he could pray and be with his father. In the Gospel of John, or the book of John, Jesus refers to his father over 20 times. And what he talks about. And this is what Miles Monroe points out in his book, The Fatherhood Principle. He says this, is that when Jesus was questioned about his identity, his work, his purpose, his heritage, his power, his authority, family, message, philosophy, theology, legitimacy, or destiny, he always referred to his father. When anybody came up to Jesus and questioned him about something, he referred to his father because they were that close. They had that type of relationship. Man, I, it's convicting to me because when I'm questioned, 
do I go straight to God? Very rarely. And probably only on a couple of these things. But there's so many areas here that I just like, oh, I, uh, I'm just trying to try to figure it out myself rather than going to my father. And I probably don't go to my father about some of these things because I just haven't spent enough time with him to know what he thinks and what he says about those areas. But Jesus did. He knew the father. They were close. It's amazing. In John 14, 31, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am doing just what the father commanded me so the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus loved the Father, so he was doing what the Father commanded. Jesus obeyed his Father out of love for his Father. Why do I obey? It's fear. Why do I obey the speed limit? Because it's fear. I don't want to get pulled over. Do I actually care about maybe causing problems to other people? Uh, maybe if I think about it, I do, yeah. But for the most part, usually why I obey someone or something is because of fear. Or maybe, you know, I want that person to like me and then I can get a favor from them later on or something. But Jesus obeyed out of love. And then I brought it even closer to home. Man, what would it be like that my children would obey me out of love? What, what would have to change in my relationship with them for them to obey out of love? I can tell you that the foundation, the rock-solid foundation that they have to know and has to be ingrained in everything is that I love them. And I only have their best interest in mind. And Jesus knew that about his father. That his father loved him and only had the best for him in mind. Jesus obeyed the Father out of love. That's amazing. And God the Father fathered Jesus perfectly well while he was on earth. And it got me thinking. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he also said, the Father and I are one. So I guess really if we want to see the Father's heart even closer... We look at Jesus. And I mean, Jesus, because Jesus is the answer. I mean, that sounds really Sunday school, like, okay, let's look at Jesus because Jesus is the answer. But the depths of it, is, it's infinite when you start looking at it. Because the heart of the Father is the heart of Jesus. And we see in John 5, 19 that Jesus, Jesus says this, Very truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Jesus could only do, Jesus only did on earth what he saw his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. The father loves the son, Jesus knew it. And the son, or loves the son and shows him what he does. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Jesus could only do 
what he saw his father doing. He could only say what his father taught him to say. And it says that the father raises the dead and gives life to them. And Jesus says in John 10.10, he's like, I have come so that they may have life. He came to bring life just like his father who wants to give life. Because it's interesting, Jesus saw his father working. Jesus tells us this. He heard his father's words. He knew his father's love. He knew his father's will for his life. He said only what his father taught him. And he honored his father with submission and obedience. You see, Jesus is a perfect reflection and example of the father. So we can look at him to see who the father's, what the father's heart is really like. And so then we ask the question, well, what did Jesus spend his time on earth doing? If his heart is the Father's heart, if he only does what the Father does, what did Jesus do? Well, he spent his time on earth teaching, healing, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Man, we should find that so comforting. That Jesus didn't come to earth to look around to find out who messed up and just bang them on the head. No, Jesus came down to look to find those who are hurting and broken and bring them to life, to give them life, because that's the heart of God the Father. And I think way too often we think that God the Father's heart is to beat us over the head when we've done something wrong. That is not his heart. His heart is to bring us to life, out of darkness, into the light, because that's what we see Jesus doing. Because Jesus healed people. The Father wants to heal people. Jesus spoke truth. He loved the little children. Jesus said, let the kids come to me. The Father says, let the kids, let my children come to me. He gave gifts. He opened the eyes of the blind physically, but also spiritually as well, to see the truth of the kingdom of God. He gave his disciples meaning and purpose for their lives. Matthew eleven twenty nine is the only verse we have in the Bible where Jesus talks about his own heart specifically and directly. So we're going to read that. Um, you may recognize it. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. We're going to read the verses before and after it. This is what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. And there you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What do we see here about Jesus' heart? The heart of the Father is gentle and humble. Charles Spurgeon said there's two things that he takes note of out of this verse. One is that he is gentle, that he is ready and willing to forgive any sin in your life. He is soft in dealing with his children. He's not angry. He will not explode on us. He is gentle. And that's, that's something that I can attest to personally. 
that God has been so gentle with me in dealing with my sin, in dealing with my insecurities, in dealing with my fears and my doubts. He's been so gentle because he's a good father. He's come alongside. He's taught. He's encouraged. He's challenged me to come into the light, to let go of the doubt and the fear. He's gentle. The second thing is, one, he will forgive any sin. And two, he is willing to walk through the rest of our lives with us and bear even more offense. He's not only willing to forgive what we have so far, but he's willing to walk through and take the rest with us. He'll be patient with us. He's not going to abandon us, even if we sin, even if we disobey, even if we deny him three times. He'll take us, guide us back to the right path into the reflection of the image of Jesus. Because that is who our God is. He is a perfect, loving Father. He won't fail us. He's always there for us. He gives us exactly what we need when we need it. And he is gentle in dealing with our sin. He finds a way for us to be restored. I love that. Came across this verse this week. was, God does not seek to take life but he devises ways for those abandoned to be restored and brought home. That's God's heart. As he's seeking, he's trying to figure out plans to bring the lost home. That's what he's spending his time doing. Not crossing his arms all stout, you know. No, he's actively trying to figure out how he can bring his children back into his arms. Because that's his heart. Because he wants the best for you. He only wants what's best for you. I think the real question is whether we actually believe he does want our best. But I hope that you see today that he loves you so deeply and so unimaginably. We can't even fathom the depths of it. But we can trust him. God gave me a dream one night. I had just been reading the story of Abraham when he was to sacrifice his son. And I was standing there beside God, and God asked me the question. He said, would you be willing to give up your son for me? I was frozen. I didn't know what to say. I thought, well, probably the right answer would be yes, but I couldn't say anything. And the more I started to think about it, the more I visualized that actually happening, I, just, I was overcome. And I remember I fell, I fell before him and I said, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't. And his response was, I know 
That's why I gave up my son for you. And that's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus coming to take our place on that cross. That's what we're about to celebrate over this Christmas season. The coming of God in the flesh for us. That God loved us so much that he would give up his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's John 3.16. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. I woke up crying and just in awe that God would love me that much to give up his son. To make our relationship right so that I could have that close relationship with God the Father that Jesus shows us in Scripture. Knowing that he loves me. Not ashamed. It all comes down to Jesus. It always comes down to Jesus. That he was born to die to take our place. And it was love that sent Jesus to earth. It was love that delivered him as a baby in the manger. His love for you and his love for me. Because God, our Father, is a perfect, loving Father. I pray we would understand that. I pray we would trust him. Because he is good. He is exceedingly good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your grace that you've given to us. God, we thank you for your son, Christ, who came, who took my sin, who took our sin, so that we can come and talk with you. God, I pray that your spirit would help us not just know this in our heads, but believe it and act on it in our hearts. That we can put our lives fully into your hands because you only want what is best for us. You only want what is best for us. We thank you, God. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.